This morning, we're looking at the topic of forgiveness. I know over the years I've preached a, a couple of times on this. But for, for a number of reasons, I think it's important to, to deal with it now as well. We're at a time in the north and Northern Ireland here where we're looking towards the future. And yet we can only do that properly if we address the past in a reasonable, in a practical, in a biblical way. Also, I've been aware of, of a number of people who are struggling with the whole topic of forgiveness. And there's, there's a lot of unhelpful teaching out there. And sometimes it's helpful just to get some clarity on it about us forgiving others and what's involved. The main thing is we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness from others. We need forgiveness from God. And we need to give forgiveness. So we're interrupting the, the series in 1 Corinthians now, just, just this week, just to tackle, to look at this topic. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness at a personal level between us and others. If our world is to avoid the constant breaking up of relationships where people continually fall out with each other. Imagine a world where no one forgave anyone, where relationships were never repaired, where you just kept falling out of relationships or friendships with other people. The world would be a, a, an awful place. It's really difficult at times, but it would be so much worse. We need forgiveness from others and from God, and we need to give forgiveness to others too. Even where reconciliation isn't possible, sometimes we don't even know who did the wrong to us. Sometimes people are anonymous, we don't see it. Even where reconciliation isn't possible, forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation. It may lead to it, but we can forgive. And it's a key to our own mental health to be able to move forward without being consumed by the past, without constantly letting the past and the hurt not only hurt us in the past, but also keep hurting us day after day as we relive, without us becoming resentful and bitter. Forgiveness frees us from reliving the harm of the past over and over. Forgiveness allows us to leave it in God's hands and he's able to cope with that. He's able to deal with that. We're not. It destroys us if we keep reliving the past. And forgiveness also allows us to properly address the justice of what has occurred. Leaving things to God and his justice. But more of that later. Jesus tells us to forgive others. When you're praying... First, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. In the Lord's Prayer, it's assumed, give us today the, the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And Jesus continues immediately after the Lord's Prayer and says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. There's a link 
between us forgiving and being forgiven by God. But does that mean that our forgiveness is dependent upon what we do? Us forgiving others? Is, is God's forgiveness of us dependent upon us forgiving others? No. We're justified by faith and not by works. We're justified by faith alone. Not on the condition of having forgiven others. How then should we consider this passage? How then should we consider the passage that we have read as well? Matthew 18, 23 onwards. Essentially what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 18 and here in Matthew 6 is he is speaking in terms of proverbs. He's speaking in terms of generalizations. He's basically teaching just as, as, as he did when he taught us that we are not to judge others so that we will not be condemned and judged too. He's teaching us that there is a link, a correlation that those who have been forgiven by God are forgiving people. Those who have been f- justified by God are not judgmental towards others. Those who haven't been forgiven by God tend to be judgmental and unforgiving. And so if we are unforgiving and judgmental, well, that's pretty much a sign that there's something wrong in our spiritual lives. And it's either we're not walking the way we ought to, or maybe we even aren't believers at all. Forgiveness doesn't mean necessarily going back into the same situation that we were in. That would be foolish, but in our hearts we ought to not hold any ill will against people. We need to take practical steps to address situations we can forgive them. We can have that heart of Jesus who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. At an individual level, we ought to always forgive others. And yet, we also need forgiveness at a community level. Not just here locally where we've got two main communities, where we need more forgiveness between each other. But also at a national or international or at a race level where one group of people needs to forgive another. There are too often responses of judgmentalism, which is basically what is behind the council culture that we have today. Instead of forgiveness and moving on, Instead of addressing the past properly without enmity, without harboring resentment and bitterness. Instead, today, there's too much of a move for one side to get power that they didn't have before, to gain the privileges that they were denied, and just flip the tables and do the same in reverse. That isn't progress. If that had been the approach that they took in South Africa, they would still be in a very bad situation today. But Desmond Tutu was clear that seeking simply justice was not the way forward for the nation. There needed to be forgiveness. There needed to be restoration. There needed to be reconciliation. And so they they had the peace, or the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which brought healing 
into their very difficult past. In situations where there is community, forgiveness needed. One community seeking forgiveness from another is not necessarily an admission of personal guilt. Some people who have done things in the past, 200 years ago, the people in the present today haven't done those things and they can't actually say, I'm sorry for what they've done in terms of as if I had done it. And some people use that excuse to not see anything, but they need to at least identify that this is our people and on behalf of our people, we say sorry. At least we regret what has happened. We lament what has happened. We will not, we commit to not allowing it to happen again. Forgiveness for what has happened in the past if it is personal responsibility, then it is a personal repentance, a personal forgiveness that is sought. But if it's a group forgiveness, forgiveness might be the word we use, but it's often more of a lament, an admission, a commitment, a repudiation against what has happened, even if there wasn't personal responsibility. Communities which don't follow the path of forgiveness Communities which don't follow the path of South Africa end up following the path of the, the Balkans. After Yugoslavia broke up when the Soviet era, when the USSR collapsed at the end of the Cold War, although people have been living as neighbors for, for many, many years, the old issues had not been addressed properly. And when the situation stirred things up again, the old enmities, the old hatreds came out and neighbors were killing neighbors. <coughs> Serbs and Croats, Christians and Muslims. Unless we resolve the issues and deal with them sufficiently, we're only putting off what will come back again to haunt us. And we're looking again locally, we're looking at the specter of sectarian violence in the streets in Belfast because the issues of our past have not been properly dealt with. We've had peace, but we haven't addressed the issues in the hearts and minds of people, at least not on a large scale. There's been some progress, but politicians and church leaders haven't really addressed the sectarianism that is here, at least not sufficiently. There is so much need for forgiveness at a personal level, at a community level from God. At a personal level, you might be thinking, well, I've been hurt so much by somebody or my family or my people have been hurt so much by, by others. I can never forgive them for what they've done. Or why should I forgive them? Maybe if you're less resistant to the idea of forgiveness, you might think, and you want to try and forgive people, you might think, Lord, I just don't know how to do it. I just find it too difficult. Forgiveness is often made very difficult. And sometimes Christian teachers make it very difficult. But let's look for a moment in trying to make it a little bit easier.
let's look for a moment at what forgiveness is not. Now, when we're told that when God forgives us, when we trust in Christ, that he will not remember our sins any longer. Like in Hebrews 12, he says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. The problem is that again and again, Christians are told they've sinned against you. Okay, well, you just have to forgive them and forget it. Forgive and forget. Say no more about it. And in too many cases, it's just a simple excuse for a cover-up. I was reading a ch- about a church this week. And 20 years of cover-up has come out. They haven't responded. The elders, each time a wife was being mistreated or abused by her husband, the elders says, oh, just go back, just go back and just be a good wife and just stay there and forgive and forget. That's what happened in practice, even though they had a good position in theory. Too often it's forgive and don't mention it anymore. And especially if it's a leader of a church that has done something, it's, it's almost the reputation of the church is at stake. We don't want that to get into the news. Let's cover it up, forgive it, and don't say anything more about it. Then that happens across all denominations to greater or lesser extents. Forgive and forget, in that sense, is not a biblical approach. It doesn't seek the welfare of the vulnerable. It doesn't seek justice for those who have been harmed. It doesn't seek the holiness of the church. It doesn't make church a safe place for people. And that can really compound the hurt where people who trusted in their church elders find it. They're not protecting me. They're putting me back into harm's way again. Another problem is that some Bible teachers make forgiveness very complicated, almost impossible. Several months ago, I listened to a podcast where the Bible teacher took a story about forgiveness in the Bible and from that story made a complex set of conditions that these are the steps that you need to take if you're to forgive somebody. And if you don't, if you, if you miss out on any one of these steps, well, you haven't forgiven them. He said, you must describe to the person who sinned against you what they have done to you in proper detail. If you don't, you haven't forgiven the person. He said, you, you must also have a holy hatred for the sin that they committed. If you don't have a holy hatred for what has happened, you haven't forgiven the person. Well, immediately we can think, is that saying that a victim of abuse has to go to their abuser and face them in the eye and tell them what they have done. And if they haven't given it in specific enough detail and told them then that they forgive them, that they haven't, they haven't actually forgiven them properly. Words fail me to, to describe what I think about that. What you put, I mean, it's difficult enough for somebody who's been harmed to go into court with the protection of, of many people around them to face their abuser. In a one-to-one or even with others around, that is just compounding the hurt. That is not forgiveness. That is, 
I'm lost for words, to be honest. The Bible doesn't tell us we have to do that. The fact that somebody like Joseph in Genesis told his brothers about what they have done to him, and then that he forgives them, that we shouldn't take a descriptive passage and make it prescriptive, which is so often one of the problems in interpreting the Bible. And to tell a victim that you need to have a holy hatred for that sin that was done to you, when their head isn't anywhere near being able to think along those lines, they're still trying to cope with what they've suffered. I read a book that was published recently on the topic of forgiveness where the author takes a similar approach of making a descriptive story into a prescriptive formula. Based on the reading we had earlier, (coughs) the author concludes that there are four actions that constitute forgiveness. To quote, to forgive then is to name the trespass truthfully as wrong and punishable rather than merely excusing it and name it to the other person as well. Second, it is to identify with the perpetrator as a fellow sinner rather than thinking how different from you he or she is. It's to will their good. Third, It's to release the wrongdoer from liability by absorbing the debt oneself rather than seeking revenge and paying them back. And finally, it is to aim for reconciliation rather than breaking off the relationship forever. Omit any of these four actions and you're not engaging in real forgiveness. It's staggering that all these steps are made, put out by good Bible teachers, otherwise good Bible teachers, and yet... Who can do all of these for? They're consigning people to to trauma over and over again. Even the thought, I want to forgive. Does that, I have to do these. I can't do that. And they're stuck in this trap of thinking that they can't forgive. I would argue that not one of those four actions is required to forgive others. Mark 11.25, if you're standing and you have anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. It doesn't require us to name the trespass in front of the other person. While that's sometimes appropriate, especially in court, there is no need to confront an abuser, to confront somebody who's really harmed us. That can likely often end up making the whole situation worse, if not the mental health of the person who's been harmed, to say nothing of anything else. And for someone, secondly, who's been terribly wronged and they're trying to recover, trying to rebuild their lives, trying to cope with what has happened to them, do they really need to have pity on the other person and identify them and just see them as a, uh, just as a victim of sin in order to be able to properly forgive them? While it is... A, a, a sign of maturity to be able to see that we're all in the same boat, we're all slaves to sin. That's something we can develop further down the line. But to be able to just forgive somebody, we don't need to have that as a requirement. When it comes to reconciliation, or even the desire for reconciliation, reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things. First, you forgive. 
and then you see what you can do to, to secure reconciliation if possible. Sometimes people won't be reconciled. Sometimes it's not wise or practical. But first you forgive and then you deal with reconciliation and the hope of it. You don't make the desire for reconciliation a precondition to forgiving others. But more importantly, we don't have to absorb the debt ourselves. The idea that we are to take it on the chin and move on is... We don't find that in the Bible. It's unjust. We're told not to take revenge, but that doesn't mean we have to absorb the debt. If we've been forgiven, yes, we in turn have to forgive others. But that doesn't mean we have to let go of the justice of a matter. The reason is because God himself will deal with the justice of the matter. In a book that I've read recently, the, the writer moved too quickly from, from forgiveness to forgiving and missed out a crucial step in the process. They, they moved from saying, we have to forgive others because we have been forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. We have to forgive others because we need to be like Jesus. He said, Father, forgive them. We've been forgiven by much, so much, so we ought to forgive others. And those are true, but there's a missing step in between. And that is that we can forgive others because God will deal with the justice of the matter himself. And we have been forgiven because God has dealt with the justice of our sins. There's a crucial factor in forgiving others. And if we miss this, it can really just put a spanner in the works for people forgiving others. Dear friends, never take revenge Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. This is a crucial verse. This is a crucial truth. When it comes to us forgiving others, we are not absorbing the debt. We are passing on the debt to God. We're not doing nothing about what has happened. We're allowing God to do something about it. I will take revenge, says the Lord. When we don't forgive, actually what we're doing in part is we are being God in our own lives. We're usurping God of his role as judge of all the earth. We're saying, I want to do something about it. I want to be the judge and jury in this situation. And so we want to take revenge. But God says, no, I will pay them back. It is my role on the judgment day, God will give perfect justice to everything that has done, been done wrong. Or, alternatively, he gives justice for the things that we have done wrong on the cross. Christ paid the debt. We don't have to absorb the debt. People will absorb it themselves on the judgment day. Or Christ will have absorbed it for them. On the cross. It's because God will give them what they deserve. That we can rest assured that justice will be done. 
we can hand the matter over to God. We can trust him. We can leave it with him. Paul teaches that we must, I mean, this is throughout the whole Bible. We must all stand before God, before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. There is a judgment day coming. And that gives us peace of mind. That when we forgive, we're, we're not absorbing the debt. We're not saying it doesn't matter. We're simply leaving the debt for God to deal with. And he can deal with it far better than we could. He can give far better justice than we could even try to. The words translated forgive in the New Testament actually mean to let go, to leave. We're to leave it to God. So forgiveness at its most basic is simply delayed justice. Leaving it to God, letting it go, and letting God deal with the matter. And knowing that he will, knowing that we can trust him to deal with it, allows us to rest. Okay, that's dealt, that's sorted. We can leave that. We can have peace of mind and we can, we can move on. And we can seek healing. And we can try and rebuild our lives. At the same time, God's perfect justice on the judgment day is meant to be mirrored in the, the courts, in the law of the land. And just as we are not meant to interfere with God's justice on the judgment day, we're not really meant to interfere with the courts. We can forgive people personally, and at the same time, we can let the courts do all that they can and all that they should. We can even campaign for people to be brought to justice while forgiving them at an individual level. Earthly justice is imperfect. The punishment never really fits the crime. But at least it gives a, a bit of an understanding that there is going to be justice one day. It points forward to the judgment day. Not only that, people's consciences as well, as Paul says in Romans 2, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Our conscience tells us that even if we get away with things here and now, we won't get away with them when we stand before God on the judgment day. And people know that deep down. So we forgive others now because God will deal with it later. It's no more complicated than that. We just let go of it and leave it with God in the assurance that he will deal with it exactly, perfectly and properly, either on the judgment day or on the cross. Sometimes it's the right thing to pursue justice at a civil level as well. And sometimes it's better not to. We're, we're free to choose at that level ourselves but let the courts do what they need to do let God do what he needs to do and let us forgive at a personal level let the churches do what they need to do as well there's a time though when we ought not to forgive <clears throat> as individuals we ought always to forgive 
governments oughtn't to let things go and allow cover-ups to happen or miscarriages of justice. They oughtn't to let things go without justice. And before God, we recognize that he wrote the Ten Commandments and that all sin is ultimately transgression against his laws. He will ultimately dispense justice. So we let God's institutions, uh, government, uh, we'll, we leave aside family and parents and their children. That's not too difficult an issue. God's three institutions in the world are government and everything has been authorized under government, like businesses and schools and whatever. Government, family, and his third institution in the world is church. How do we forgive people in church? At an individual level, whether it's people in church or people outside, we are called simply to forgive them unconditionally. But in Matthew 18, <coughs> before the passage that we've read, from verse 23, before Peter takes what Jesus says and thinks of it only on a personal level, Jesus was teaching about church and he was instituting church and church authority in verse 15 to 18. Church ought not to forgive things if people are unrepentant. Church is meant to be a safe place for believers. It's meant to be a holy place it's not meant to be a place where somebody can sin grossly and people just sweep it under the carpet. Church is not meant to be a place where abusers can feel safe. Oh, people are going to forgive and forget. I can just keep on doing what I want to do. Church is a place where if somebody is challenged and they do not repent and you take another person and they don't repent and you take, you take the leaders of the church go to them and they still don't repent, Matthew 18 tells us that we are to not forgive them, we are to not let it go, we are to excommunicate them. So the only time we don't forgive people is where church leaders deal with church discipline on those who are grossly sinning and unrepentant. The abusers must be left out of the church and Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians somebody who's involved in deep sexual immorality. And often this can be simply to preserve the holiness of the church and the protection of the people, but also it can be a stage in the process of somebody actually properly repenting and seeing their sin. And sometimes it takes exclusion for it to really hit home what they've done and they repent and then they're welcomed back. Of course, if they do, you don't let them into a situation where they could harm others again. If somebody has swindled, you don't let them be the treasurer. If somebody has harmed children, well, they're certainly not going to be involved in children's ministry. And they oughtn't to even be in a room where there are children without somebody keeping an eye on them all the time. But church ought to be a place where those who are truly repentant can come together as those who have been forgiven. And that's a hard teaching. But there's no unforgivable sin other than refusing forgiveness. No one has done 
anything so bad that it can't be forgiven. Christ died on the cross for the sins of anyone who will turn to him. doesn't matter what we have done. If we trust in Christ, we are forgiven. Such is his love, such is the depth of his suffering, and such is the glory of the gospel. He paid the debt we owe. Paul writes to the Colossians, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We don't have to absorb the debt of what other people have done. Christ does it on the cross or they will experience judgment in eternity themselves. It's true that there's a couple of passages that seem to be difficult to reconcile together. That's one of them says, forgive unconditionally, and another says, if they repent, forgive them. But as Timothy Keller points out, you let the clear passages interpret the difficult ones. That's basic Bible interpretation. I'm putting it all together. We have to forgive unconditionally at an individual level. Church leaders only forgive when people are repentant. The government has to do its job and not let miscarriages of justice go undealt with. And God will deal with everything else on the judgment day or on the cross. Some people talk about the need to forgive ourselves or forgive God. And <clears throat> we could talk a lot about that, but let me just say in summary that <coughs> at least in my experience, when people are struggling with forgiving themselves for what they've done, well, the Bible never tells us we need to forgive ourselves. The real issue that they seem to be struggling with is pride I can't really come to terms with the fact that I did that, is what they're really struggling with. Was I really that much of a sinner? The issue is not that they're struggling to forgive themselves. They're struggling with coming to terms with the fact that that's what they were like and that's what they did. And we don't need to forgive God. There's an author who's written a book about forgiving others and another book about forgiving God. I've written a helpful book about forgiving unconditionally but we don't need to forgive God God has never sinned the things that we struggle with are because of what other people have done including us or we're living in a world with natural disasters because this is a world because we rejected God's perfect world and now we're in an imperfect broken world it's all because of humanity and our sin But God is patient. His patience ought to bring us to repentance. His love and his care for us is that he's not giving us our full judgment day yet. He's letting us maybe see some signs that it's there. But he's giving us time to turn back to him. He has gone to the cross. He has dealt with our sin on the cross. If we will accept that in Christ, he is nothing to be blamed for.
And so to forgive, we need to see God's justice, either on the judgment day or on the cross. And then we are free to, to forgive like Jesus. Forgiveness at its most basic is simply delayed justice. Letting go and letting God deal with the matter. But forgiveness at its most beautiful is grace and love in real life. Letting the love of God shine through us towards others. Question is, do we need to forgive somebody today? Do we need to forgive a group of people today? We might not be able to resolve systemic issues or big issues. We can campaign for governments and others to address those, but at least in our hearts, we can be released from the burden. We can forgive them ourselves. Do we need Christ's forgiveness ourselves today? Too often we point the finger at others, but not enough. Do we look at our own hearts? There's nothing stopping us from receiving his forgiveness right now other than we just need to pray a simple prayer. We need to place our faith in Christ. God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The tax collector prayed in the temple. And he went home, Jesus says, justified. <coughs> Let's trust in Christ. Let's thank God for the forgiveness we've received in him. Let's depend on God's justice on the judgment day or on the cross where the debt will be dealt with. We don't have to absorb it. Once we forgive others, we can then see if it's a, this is a possibility of reconciliation or even restoration. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But in any case, we, we can leave these things to God. He is able to deal with them far better than we can. He, it's his responsibility and not ours. When we forgive others and go the extra mile, we show the character of Jesus in our lives. Charles Spurgeon wrote in his daily um, devotion morning and evening yesterday morning, describing the Christian life. At the best of all, he said, as the highest portraiture of Jesus, try to forgive your enemies as he did. And let those sublime words of your master, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, always ring in your ears. Forgive as you hope to be forgiven. Return good for evil. Remember, that is Godlike. Be Godlike then, and in all ways and by all means, so live that all may say of you, you've been with Jesus. As God's people, let's forgive at an individual level. Let's campaign for justice at a society level. And let's carry the gospel of God's justice and his forgiveness to those who are in need. If we want to see our church flourish, we need to be like Christ. We need to live like Christ and preach the gospel of Christ. If we want to see society flourish, the church needs to lead the way in truth, reconciliation, 
in Christ, if nothing else, and in justice. Let's move forward in God's grace and by his strength. Out of love for him, joyfully and for his sake and for his glory. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember, not remember your sins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though we deserve condemnation because of our sin, we are now under no condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Lord, we have such blessing. Lord, help us to cherish it. Help us to contemplate it. And help us, Lord, to do our part and just forgive others and leave the justice of these matters to you. Help us, Lord, to help those who have been harmed. Help us, Lord, to help healing them. But, Lord, most of all, we pray, help us to have a good testimony that the gospel message itself will not be harmed, that people will find reconciliation with you, forgiveness from you, and eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen.